You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday the 8th of August, and pretty cool and overcast here in TW11 today. Don't worry, the heat wave is on its way. And as we discussed yesterday... Uh, matters inside the Professional Jockeys Association at the BHA heating up as well over this thorny issue of whether saunas should be on race courses or not. And you'll be hearing a little later in the programme from the Racecourse Association Chief Executive Wilf Walsh, who has some strong words on this subject and some strong words for the Professional Jockeys Association as well. Something of a rejoinder to Neil Callan's contribution on yesterday's podcast. But the equine star yesterday was Vauban, the Copper Horse Handicap winner at Ascot, the Triumph Hurdle winner of last year, already a short prize favourite for the Melbourne Cup, and he passed his requisite test with flying colours. At NACE, uh, Lee Mottishead from the Racing Post joins me. We're going to be hearing from the trainer in one moment, Lee, but in 30 seconds or so, what did Vauban do? What did he need to do? Well, he needed to finish uh, Nick in the first three in a Group 3 contest or win a listed event to pass the ballot clause to make himself eligible to run in the Melbourne Cup. What he'd done so far was not enough to get him into the race. He more than passed the ballot clause test by winning the Ballyrone Stakes, a group three at NACE by one and a half lengths. It was strong form two. He beat Valiant King into second. Valiant King had been just touched off by Desert Hero in the King George V handicap at Royal Ascot. It was a performance that was strong on paper, on form, but it's also strong on the eye. Vauban travelled really well and did it decisively. It was everything you would want to see. All right. I've been speaking to the trainer, Willie Mullins. I said, was this exactly what he'd expected or was this a performance that exceeded those expectations? Uh, probably just the manner in which he won surprised me. Um, you know, I didn't think he could do that in um, a group three, but um, he did it nicely. Uh, so, and uh, Colin was very positive on him. And I thought, you know, if you were going to get beaten, that's probably the way to be beaten but he um he was positive and uh, i think colin had a lot more confidence in him than i had uh, that's quite interesting what what had you and colin discussed before the race uh, <laughs> i do his best but um you know it was paramount to finish the first three if he could and there was a couple of smart horses in there and you know it's, if anything happened to you in the race you, you know you just want to finish in the first three get qualified have our job done and winning was a bonus so um that was the way. But Colin, you know, chatting to him before the race, I, I knew he was going to be positive. He was, um, he said to me that, he, you know, he'd, he'd jump out. And uh, if nothing was prepared to go on, he would go on as well. So, uh, and he had enough pace in us and he settled nicely. And, um, you know, turning for home in Nace, it's a long way out up that hill. And... He sent him about his job, turning for home, so I said he must be giving him a good field. And galloped way up the hill and uh, won nicely. So uh, I was very pleased with that. It sounds like the dog was quite pleased with it as well. <laughs> she is, Hattie, yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, de- de- she's 
delighted with that performance. Uh, uh, Willie, you must have trained literally dozens of horses with high-class flat form from, from France who, who then do well over hurdles. Why has it been in your mind for, for such a long time that this horse could really excel back on the flat? I think we uh, we were lucky to get him when we did. Um, he was very unexposed. He won a listed race, I think, by a, in a four finish short header ahead. I thought he should have won by about four or five lengths. He, uh, I, from memory, I think he got in a good bit of trouble. And because he was so good, he got out of trouble and, and won. And um, we had him bought before that. Uh, so doubled our money at least after that but um, we took a chance and bought him and the owner wanted to run in in the listed race for the uh, you know for the pedigree and for Galloway I think he the, the man we bought it off owns I think owns the sire so uh, we knew we had all that in the tank to come back after a hurdling career and He's a horse who is is pretty pretty quick for a for a stayer as well, and I I suppose the the only question I started started asking myself is 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 he almost too fast? Is he almost a a mile and a half horse? I don't think so. I mean, he stays all day, um, stays all day, so I have no problem with that. I I, I was actually just remarked to someone yesterday that. Um, you know, he, he looks a mile and a half horse there, but I think he's better over a longer trip. But um, it's hard to think that they get faster as they get older. But then he is, he is only five. And, uh, you know, we don't, I don't gear him up to try and win mile and a half races or, or mile and a quarter races. You know, we're very happy going down the route that we've picked out from. And, you know, when we were buying him, we thought he could be he could come back to the flat and be a Melbourne Cup horse. Oh. Uh, so, you know, we had, we had that in mind. We had that sort of program in mind from rather than coming back to a mile and a half. Well, it's it's all working pretty pretty beautifully at the moment. Is that it then? Until until you go down to Australia, or can you get another run in? We'll see what. I I don't particularly want another run. I think I'd I'd like to go there on what we've done now. Um, we we'll see what way the handicappers react especially the um, Australian one and I think it might be our job done now and just have them ready for, this, for a race in, in Melbourne and I'm, I'm, I don't want to preempt, and I'm, I'm only guessing but I mean, subject to availability will Ryan Moore ride him? That's the plan yeah, I think Ryan's keen to ride him and at the moment it doesn't look like um you know his connections will will have something in it, so we're hoping he's available. That was Willie Mullins, fresh off the back of a busy spell at Galway and watching uh, Vauban do his stuff at Nace yesterday. Straight to Melbourne with Ryan Moore aboard, Lee. So you know, I, I, it's going to take a serious one to, to beat him, unless the Australian handicapper really clobbers him. Yeah, I think he has a massive chance, Nick. Um, Everything about him screams um, Melbourne Cup, both in terms of his his run profile so far, his career profile, 
his run style, uh, his connections, know exactly what to look for in a Melbourne Cup horse. And it's interesting, Nick, as well, that Willie repeats there that the plan, the expectation is that Ryan Moore will ride. He's a five to one, six to one shot at the moment for the race. Bear in mind that Willie says there they don't anticipate uh, running him beforehand. There isn't really much reason why his price should drift out um, from from that mark, assuming, as say, all goes well in the veterinary test that horses have to undergo between now and getting to the Melbourne Cup start. I can't see why he isn't going to be uh, a particularly strong favourite, Nick, unless something happens in one of the lead-up races to the Melbourne Cup races like the Caulfield Cup in which another horse emerges as an even more exciting prospect for the race. I think really everything about Vauban is positive. Um, what's also positive, as a reference there, was was the Ryan Moore news. And that's nothing against Colin Keane, but Ryan Moore is a, is a Melbourne Cup winner already. Um, I had wondered, Nick, overnight or this morning, reading overnight news, whether Ryan Moore might be available because we did overnight get uh, the nominations for the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate, the other two spring majors in Melbourne. We won't get the Melbourne Cup nominations until into September. But Aidan O'Brien has made a, a, a significant number of entries in both those races. He's not been represented in Melbourne since 2020. That's interesting. We know he's had issues. Yeah, we know he's had issues there with with the protocols that have, have come in. You just um, wonder whether that tanker is turning a little bit then? Well, potentially, Nick. I mean, why would you make lots of entries if you had no intention whatsoever of being involved? Um, so the Caulfield Cup, um, his his nine uh, entries, nine, uh, is it, well, his entry, there's so many, it's hard to count. Luxembourg is one of them. That's an interesting horse in that race. Adelaide River, who we'd saw uh, running a cracking race in the Irish Derby and then the Grand Prix de Paris. He's in that one. So Luxembourg is in the Cox Plate. So is Paddington. Um, I don't think we expect Paddington to be going for Cox Plate, but he's in He's in the race. So at this stage, Aidan O'Brien is clearly not ruling out being involved in Melbourne in the spring. And if he was to be involved in Melbourne in the spring in the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate, you'd imagine he might also be looking at the Melbourne Cup. So Maybe Willie knows more than we do in terms of what Aiden's plans are, but it's certainly positive for Vulban if yeah. Ryan Moore was on the horse. Positive news, say in in a wider sense, Nick for for um, Melbourne overnight because say those noms for the Caulfield Cup and the Cox Plate are interesting. They're strong in terms of internationals. Uh, Racing Victoria said overnight that they expect from what they've heard for Doville Legend and West Wind Blows representing James Ferguson and Simon and Ed Chrisford to be running in the Caulfield Caulfield Cup. That's interesting. And Valiant King, who finished second to Vauban in the Ballyroa, Nick, he's in the Caulfield Cup as well for Joseph O'Brien. So it does look as though there could be more international European representation at the Spring Carnival than we have been used to in recent years. Good. Now, Racing Victoria's chief executive has been um, quite vocal today, uh, touching on a number of themes in in an interview on on racing.com. I only laugh, Lee, because... Just in case you think problems are exclusive to one particular racing nation, just the list of subjects that he explored. I mean, it could just be any one of these podcasts from about the last three years. Yeah, and uh, knock them off. You, 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 you've got a list there, haven't you? Yeah, well, we, we've got future of the use of the whip. Yeah, check. tick. Um, we've got uh, how gambling is perceived by the wider public. Check. Um, 
how government might deal with gambling advertising and the impact that could have on the sports finances. Did so check. We've also got <laughs> making racing appeal to a to a younger audience. Big check. And how we're going to make uh, a segment of the sport something more like um, the hundred, or in the Australia's case, the Big Bash, courtesy of something that looks and sounds an awful lot like the Racing League. <laughs> and we know that's not gone without any hitches at all. Except, 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 it's not like the Racing League as it is now. It's like the Racing League as it was proposed when the Racing League was proposed. I.e., all bells, whistles, teams, lots of young people, tons of money chucked at it. F1, blah blah. It drive to survive, you name it, uh, earpieces in the jockeys and so forth. That's what the racing league was going to be when it started. What it is now is just a, it's different. It's just like racing by any other name, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, the, the, the big difference here, Nick, is that they have got the money to chuck at things, um, certainly compared to over here. I mean, one of the reasons why the racing league I think maybe hasn't taken off in the way that its organisers might have wanted it to is, it's just not had the investment um, that something comparable in Australia almost certainly exactly. would have. Andrew Jones, the CEO of Racing Victoria, I think would probably embrace the the notion of being a disruptor. He has come into horse racing um, with a uh, with a mandate, if you like, to shake up the sport. That's what he did with cricket when he. Uh, brought in the the big bash to Australian cricket. That has been a huge success over there. Um, He's not someone with a horse racing background. He's not someone who is afraid to upset horse racing people. I mean, in an interview on racing.com overnight, he pretty much said, well, if, if, if some racing people are unhappy about these proposed changes, well, you know, who cares? Um, because they represent a, the races that he's looking at represent a small percentage of the overall race product and they want to bring a new audience into the sport. I mean, some of the things are really radical. I suppose the most exciting one um, for an audience might well be the idea of having a, a connection, a, an audio connection between jockeys and trainers during races and that being replayed to to viewers watching the sport. I mean, they're, they're, they're big ideas, they're radical ideas they will almost certainly alienate a lot of existing racing people but i think in general terms nick my my view would be that so long as uh safety is um the the major uh decision making factor that nothing is done to to put people or horses at risk then there's nothing wrong with trying new things if they don't work you scrap them but if you do work you might hit a gold mine you imagine can you imagine aiden being mic'd up to four jockeys in a group one i mean it would be it would be tremendous wouldn't well, it? imagine the conversations between ryan and aiden or, or ryan and sir michael stout during a race exactly wow anyway me. on we move yes okay on yesterday's show we began by talking about the uh, intensity of uh, the debate surrounding the use of saunas for jockeys and and how it had come to a head over the weekend with contributions from Adam Kirby and then Tom Markwand on ITV on Sunday and then Neil Callan on this podcast yesterday, all of whom were united in believing that Sauna should make a return to British racecourses. And uh, there were some uh, pretty pretty eloquent, well-made points from from Markwand and, and Callan over the last couple of days. I'm joined by Wilf Walsh, who's the 
the chair of the the Racecourse Association, um, many of whose members have the the practical application of removing saunas and and making jockeys' facilities suitable for the the twenty first century. Uh, Wilf, what's the Racecourse's position on on saunas, their possible return or, or lack of? Uh, morning, Nick. Um, I guess there are three main reasons why. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We won't. Um, we aren't minded to reintroduce saunas onto race courses. The first one is when we uh, took saunas out. It was the full agreement of the PGA at the time. Uh, they agreed 100%. That, I admit to that was an old administration, um, and we did that and, and raised the uh, weight allowances. The second is a practical reason with the PJA signing off that we shouldn't be using saunas we took them all out with the exception of the 59 race courses there are 12 uh, that still have sauna facilities but they've all been uh, decommissioned and repurposed um, so on practical reasons you know I heard uh, an ITV correspondent saying what a good laugh it was for women and men to be in saunas together in the old days well you know if we were to reintroduce saunas we need to reintroduce two for safeguarding purposes. But the third and most important reason is medical uh, evidence um, that says you should not be uh, riding uh, a horse dehydrated because it endangers you and it endangers those around you. So that's the primary reason. And we're looking at the BHA, are looking at uh, a wider ranging study on how we tackle this issue and whether we end up with you know, changing the weight allowances, whether we do individual minimum weights for jockeys over a longer term period. And what the PJA have done, instead of following due process, they've decided to wage a bit of a, a PR campaign via ITV. So we're very clear at the race courses. You know, the PJA has signed this off. Uh, it's impractical in terms of reintroducing facilities that have been taken out. But thirdly, it's unsafe. And that's the primary reason we're not minded to introduce partners on race courses. When you say it's unsafe, I know the, the BHA uh, did, a, did a study at Liverpool, John Moore's University, about the, the effect of, of dehydration on, on performance and found that, that, that dehydration via exercise impacted on performance. But do we not need a, a study specifically surrounding the effect of a short spell of time in a sauna on 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 performance on on mental acuity and so forth in you know in a in a in an athletic environment doesn't that study need to be done um, to actually better inform the work I'll, I guess that'll be part of the work that that Jerry Hill will do but the fact remains you know whether you do it uh, by running or taking a hot bath or by uh, you know any form of vigorous exercise to shake off a couple of pounds whether you're doing that or you're in a sauna, the effects are still the same. You are riding, having purposely dehydrated, uh, rehydrated, uh, in a way that is fundamentally unsafe. It reduces reaction times. It endangers you, the animal, and people around you. And that's a scientific fact. And when you when you look at uh, riders like like Tom Marquand um, on on ITV on on Sunday, he is he is widely considered to be a kind of voice of reason, um, you know, young, fit, someone who's who's a sort of a, almost a paragon for uh, keeping your body in in good shape. Does an incredible amount of fitness. It, it's not it's not redolent of the of the bad old days of jockeys maybe having a drink before they go into a sauna and trying to take seven pounds off and then doing all sorts of other stupid things to their body. No, he was very eloquent, and I can see how 
uh, to the outside. I know you're so good. I nearly offered him a job at the RCA, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, he probably wouldn't wouldn't fancy that. But the fact remains, you know, the PJA signed off. Uh, his representative body signed off uh, as all taking saunas out of race courses. Um, and then they go off and do a a questionnaire to their members. I mean, it's a bit like the whip revisited. You know, you do a full consultation with all the membership bodies, and then later, the actual members of those bodies decide that's not right, and they want to do a flip flop. But it is very, very frustrating if a questionnaire comes out to jockeys and says, "Well, you know, what do you think? Uh, would you like saunas back?" I mean, whether you want a sauna or not, or need it, you're going to say yes because it's no skin off your nose. And that's what's happened. Mm. Uh, so you're, you're sort of are you bristling? Are you bristling at the at the idea that they might be leading the witness? Is that is that sort of what you're saying? Well, it's not a case. Um, you know, look, a new administration. What goes in? PJ have been a bit of a mess for some time. We've had a, a new board of directors. A new chairman's gone in. Uh, former CEO has come back, and they want to um, make an instant impression. I think they've just backed the wrong horse, which is probably the right parlance to use, because. This was fully consulted, uh, full consultation with the PJA. Saunders were taken out with their express approval. Wait allowances were agreed. And now they want to go back in time. And it's not the way you should be doing it. You know, commissioning your own research, doing your own questionnaires. You know, we're part of a, a unified sport. And there is a, a modus operandi for getting things done. And they've gone about it the wrong way, quite, quite frankly. Right, strong stuff there from from Wilf Walsh. Uh, only Willie Mullins was able to knock him off the top spot today, but perhaps he shouldn't have done. Lee Motta said um, because th- that that does rather clarify, you know, what racing's leadership thinks and and what the background to a lot of this is. Yeah, um, I, I think this is such a big issue, Nick, and it's a, it's a fascinating issue. I think it's also a subject that has. Um, more layers, more background and more context than perhaps we have heard of in the coverage so far. Um, like everybody else who watched um, Tom Marquand's interview on ITV, who listened to Neil Callan on, on the pod yesterday, I inherently have sympathy for those jockeys' positions. Um, I also um, have had um, conversations in the past with with Daryl Jacob, who has expressed his difficulties with life without soreness in the weighing room. And again, he does so with complete sincerity. Um, and I can absolutely empathize with what he and others in the same position are saying. However, I think you do have to um, place what they're saying and um you have to understand what they're saying against the backdrop of of other matters. There is the safety angle that that will um, referenced, and that is a fact that has been a fact, and not just in Britain but in other jurisdictions, including Ireland. Um, is, and I is, think if you look the, at, isn't the story here, Lee? I mean, we all know, we all we all understand the medical debate here, um, but but isn't isn't the story that there was what there was broad agreement to do away with the saunas and we're now going we're now going vault fast on this yeah and i think that's why why wilf makes the parallel um with the whip situation in terms of a, a vault fast i mean I, I 
I interviewed Jamie Spencer back in 2021. Um, he spoke about saunas at that point, saying, I would say the saunas won't ever come back and they shouldn't come back either. If you're taking off weight 15 minutes before a race, your brain is frazzled. It affects your temper as well. People who would previously have snapped very easily have become much more level. Dale Gibson, the exec director of racing for the PJ and interim chief exec at the moment, um, said that um, the riders have got used to not having saunas. And as somebody said to me recently, why would you dehydrate yourself 10 minutes before going out to ride? Now, people who took that position might well say, oh, well, the situation was different then because we were talking at a time when there was this three pounds COVID weight allowance that was there to reflect the fact that saunas would had been taken out of out of weighing rooms. Now that has changed, but but equally, I think we need to understand Nick how that has changed as well, because the the the, the governing body, the BHA, as the the uh, horse racing RHRB have as well, that they have sought to help jockeys where possible. So to paint an example, Nick, pre-COVID, when saunas um, were around on race courses. A horse who was published to carry nine stone in a race would actually have carried nine stone three pounds because jockeys have always for decades now had a three pound allowance built in, which is there to uh, accommodate things like the back protector. So a horse carrying nine stone would have carried nine stone three. During COVID, a horse carrying nine stone would have carried nine stone six, the three pound COVID allowance plus a three pound safety allowance, the backpack, but, but the the uh the back protector allowance last year a change came in whereby all weights rose by two pounds so a horse who would previously have carried nine stone now carries nine stone two the three pound back protector allowance is still there taking the horse's weight up to nine stone five yeah but the bha has also increased that three pound safety allowance to four pounds so a horse carrying nine stone two carries nine stone six now you can argue that jockeys will say, well, that's that that's fine. Um, but if it says eight stone ten on the race card, we still want to ride at eight stone ten because our trainer expects us to to ride at eight stone ten. Against that, Nick, you have to think about transparency. And can you have a situation? It's bad enough having a situation where a horse carry nine stone two is actually carrying nine stone six when the public don't necessarily realise that, but a six pound difference would be even greater. So I just think there are more there are more nuances to this debate than people have maybe presented so far. And I think at the core of it, Nick, as well, is that if governing bodies have said that they believe that saunas are not safe for jockeys to use before riding in a race, if they have said that, and they have, Jennifer Pugh of the RHRB has said um, reopening saunas at the race course will be advocating, facilitating and encouraging the use of something which we know to be unsafe. If they are of that opinion, how can they bring saunas back onto race courses? I, I don't knowing what they know and knowing what they have stated. I think it will be really difficult to bring them back. Now, that's that's not this what jockeys gonna, want this, to this hear. Is, this is going to run and run, Lee, because I've, I've been in contact with the BHA and the PJA today. I think the BHA are formulating some sort of response. And I think they're, as Will Force was suggesting there, I think that there's a you know some more studies that are gonna that are gonna be undertaken to yeah. do with to do with the effect of 
of saunas on athletic performance. I mean, the PGA, which is still without a chief executive, but is being chaired by Nick Attenborough, Dale Gibson is in a, a sort of interim senior position there. It was in a senior position already, but is in an interim more position of even greater responsibility. It, it says he, I, I think he believes that there is going to be some sort of position or uh, official position as to how to proceed uh, in, in, in the in the coming days. But there isn't an official PGA pr- position at the moment as to how they're going to how they're going to take this forward based on the canvas views of their membership. So it, it, this is there's not going to be an easy solution. No, there's there's not going to be an easy solution. And there's not going to be a solution Nick, that pleases everybody. Um, jockey well-being has to be at the heart of any decision. Um, that, that 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 that's that's the primary concern. There are other issues yeah, and, around and, and, it, transparency, and you, know, and you know that jockeys will be listening to this, going, "My mental health is being affected by not being able to use a sauna, and my overall well-being and my financial well-being, my family's well-being is affected because I'm losing rides." And you know, Adam Kirby's piece was very powerful in the Sun last week. Yeah, it's yeah, it, that's why the the issue is so complex and so interesting. But again, it, we, we're in a situation whereby the industry appears to have agreed a position, and now that position is completely fractured. And you know the extent to which the, the sort of rather artificial environment of COVID precipitated that has also got to be thrown into the mix. That's right. Um, and you're, you're right, Nick. Jockeys will be saying, or a lot of jockeys will be saying, um, my mental health is being impacted on by this. My, my physical health is being impacted by this. But again, if you are a governing body and you have presented what you believe to be convincing evidence that a practice is unsafe, how can you sanction that practice taking place on licensed premises? For a start, you almost certainly throw yourself open to uh, potential legal actions if a jockey gets injured and the jockey can claim that um, dehydration was a reason behind an accident. I think it's. Re- I think it would be really difficult for governing bodies to do that, even if they wanted to, even if even if they are persuaded um, by the position taken by um, representative bodies such as the PGA. I think it would be a a difficult move for them to make, even if they wanted to. Um, so I, I I just think that it, it's in a very emotive subject, Nick, and under understandably emotive. But I think. I think everybody has to appreciate that you have to move beyond the emotions, look at the whole, look at the whole picture, try to appreciate everybody's position. And hopefully we can reach some sort of outcome that pleases as many people as possible. But it it is more complex than has maybe been presented so far. Well, one of the stories of the of the season, though perhaps not garnering as many headlines as he should have done, is Quinault, who is uh, on course for a seventh consecutive handicap victory this weekend if he runs in one of the editions of the Shergar Cup. His trainer, Stuart Williams, is with me now. Is it the attention to run, Stuart? Yeah, that's the plan, yeah. And, of course, the, the interesting point, as you were noting in a couple of places yesterday, is that you've got no choice about who rides the horse. Is that problematic at all? I don't think so. He's fairly straightforward on the course. Um he's got much better at home as well but uh, but on the track he you know he jumps and does his thing so i'm i'm not really concerned there's a lot of very very good jockeys in this year's renewal world class jockeys and um you know i'll be happy to have any of them 
Uh, people have always said to me that the mark of a good trainer is knowing what they've got. And it's sort of been one of your selling points over the years that you, you've been able to categorize horses and realize what you can you can work with. But to what extent has his improvement in any way taken you by surprise? Yeah, no, it's been a surprise. Um, you know, when we bought him, we were looking for a horse that might win a couple of races on the all weather through the winter and have a bit of fun for Tom and his mother. Um, obviously, this horse jumped forwards. Um, you know, it wasn't a total shock because I'd um, I'd entered him in the uh, £50,000 um, handicap at Newmarket uh, and run him in the ordinary race on the Thursday to get qualified so you know we had some idea that he was he was jumping forwards fairly quickly after his first couple of wins but um, you know if you'd have said to me then do you think he'd be running off 97 in in six weeks time I'd, I'd have um, I'd have said no I should imagine can you put your finger on why you've had enough horses rack up sequences and, and improve and, and keep winning do, can you can you identify why he's done what he's done uh, I I I think he's just filling his frame. He's a he's a big, strong horse now. Um, obviously, he'd shown something at the breeze ups for um, for Godolphin to pay so much money for him in the first place, and and then had just got on the wrong side of of running away on the gallops and stuff like that. And we, you know, with the with the help of Luke Catton, who's I've noted saying before that he's done a lot of work on him at home. To, to, to keep him calm and he's just settled down and, and got into a really good routine now and he's just been thriving on his racing and now he's won six handicaps on the bounce including two of the great three-hole sprint handicaps of the season and last time out he beat Millstream who came out and bolted up in a listed race in France the other day that must have given you great encouragement yeah I think the form's strong yeah, I think the form of those races is strong. If you look back at some of the horses that have won those races in the past, they've, you know, gone on to be good horses. If we could do, if we could do something like that, we'd be very happy. And you talked after Newmarket about a, a horse I remember really well, Sending Tank, who won you. Was it ten handicaps in a season? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you you got half an eye on on bettering bettering that with this boy. I I I, I don't think so. I think we we're, we're coming to the end of where we can go handicap wise with this horse. I'd, I'd imagine, you know, he's off ninety seven on Saturday. If he was lucky enough to win on Saturday, he's going to be over a hundred. You'd imagine the next time, and that just becomes very difficult. Then, so it's possible we might move into stakes company with him after this next race. And if, if I said to you next year he's going to be end, end up running in all the group sprints over six furlongs, would that is that the way you're thinking? Is that the way you think it'll go? Well, I've, I've just had a conversation with Tom 10 minutes ago whether to put him in the champion sprint at the end of this season just in case. Trainer Stuart Williams there with big plans for Quinault entered in the Shergar Cup on Saturday. All right, well, it's Tuesday, which means it's the day we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their excellent stallion book, in which you will find the stallions that are currently housed at Aou du Logis in Normandy, uh, whose proprietor, uh, Julian Ince, uh, joins me now. Julian, who's had a, a rich and interesting career in the uh, stallion business and in the breeding industry, uh, both in the UK and in France, with some time in Ireland as well. Uh, Julian... It seems to me, before we start, that French racing might be making a bit of a resurgence. That's what it looks like from this side of the channel. What does it look like from where you're standing? 
Well, I think we've had a, an exceptional year this year with the results on the track. Uh, I think at the moment we're looking at uh, uh, 10 of the 12 Group 1s being won by the French French trained or French horses. Um, so I think we're having a great year on the track. Um, and you know, I have to say the results of, of uh, the French trainers has been exceptional this year. We've got some young trainers coming through and some established trainers as well. Um, and it's been a very good year. Um, last year, I think the French were sort of looking at themselves, wondering what was happening and because of the, the English had a fantastic time English Norwich had a fantastic time on the racetrack here last year but this year it's turned around the other way and um, the French are having a fabulous year Uh, any idea why well, I, th- I think, you know, that the, the French system, as we've got it, has been attracting foreign people in for as long as I've been here. You know, I've been here for 25 years, uh, 26 years, um, and people are investing in France, um, and that means that they are investing in better stock um, than we probably had, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and there are a lot of people today uh, setting up in France, having horses in training in France. Um, so it's, and we're very lucky that, you know, prize money and premiums it's uh, a great encouragement for uh, foreign people to set up here um, and of course the quality horse goes with that so what took julian Ince to, to normandy in the first place um well i was offered a, a very good job to be honest with you i was uh, managing a farm for uh, quite a well-known man called sven hansen um so i came here in the beginning and managed his farm for him for a couple of years before coming to loji um and then i was lucky enough to uh, have a contact with dali and we started um we started standing stallions for them and we are now in our 25th year of standing stallions for dali and just give me the, the nature of the relationship with Dali and, and how that uh, codependency works between you. Well, uh, the way it works is very simple. You know, we, we look after the day-to-day running of the, the stallions here at Logi, um, obviously selling the nominations, um, and uh, we're obviously rewarded. Uh, by Dali for doing that uh, job and they, um, you know, they've been very good to us over the years um, and it works very well. Our, our office works in, in a total conjunction with their offices in England um, and it's just something that works very easy. It's easy for both of us to do um, and of course I can, we take care of everything from the da- on the day-to-day uh, basis of uh, managing the stallions, doing the nominations um, and they obviously look after all the publicity and everything else that goes with it. What's been your biggest success so far for you, I mean, personally or, pro- or professionally? I suppose our greatest success was, uh, A, you know, you, have your, you, you breed yourself a group winner at some stage. Um, and that we did very early on. We were very lucky. Um, a horse that we'd sold and then we brought him back in. As, as you probably know the story, we brought him back here to be a teaser and we gave him one mare a year and he gave us the Grand Prix de Deauville and a Tiberian. Um, so it's, that's probably a, the, the, the best thing we've ever done for ourselves, let's say. Yeah, and if if that's something you'll be remembered for, you'd be you'd be quite proud of that, wouldn't you? Because it's a it's a pretty it's it's a nutty story, but it's a pretty amazing one. It is a pretty amazing one. I mean, you know, everybody calls him you know, the the son of the teaser, but the teaser, in fairness, was a horse called Tiberius Caesar, who was a Group Three winner, half brother to two champions. But you know, uh, you know, it was it was a fantastic story, something fun, something fun to do, and it'll always be in our memory for sure. 
rather more serious is the roster of stallions that you've got at the moment. Cloth of Stars, Ribchester and, and Victor Lodorum. It seems that there's some noise around Cloth of Stars. I was at Newmarket the other day. There was a, a good-looking maiden race, three of whose progeny were by Cloth of Stars. Has he got what it takes to make a proper stallion, do you think? Well, I think so. Yes, you know he's he's you know, he's, 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 a, he's a, a very good older horse. He was a good three-year-old. He's a mile and a half horse. I know they're going to take their time, but you know, just as say, in the last month we've had two black types. Um, I think I think he will he will be okay. And these, uh, we're very happy with the results we had in the last uh, last month. Have been very very good. I have to say. And Ribchester, I, I was I, I was noting the irony last week that Factor Cheval was was trying to avenge Ribchester's defeat in the in the slop in the Sussex Stakes. He couldn't quite manage it, but my goodness, he ran a great race. He ran a great race, I have to say. And again, you know, congratulations to the young trainer Jerome Renier, who's just done an amazing job um, since he's been come, come back to France to start training. And um, again, a young, exciting trainer for France. And if you look down his list of you know, clients, you know, you'll probably you know, see every foreign person that you know. Um, so again, a young trainer who's attracting foreign owners into France. And Victor Lodorum, it's interesting. Um, Dali have got so many young stallions by Shamadal, um, thinking Blue Point, obviously, who's making a big impact at the moment, but Earthlight also and Victor Lodorum. So, you know, one in England, one in Ireland, one in, one in France. Um, how's your boy shaping up? Well, you know, he had, a free, he had a full book last year. He's had a full book this year. So, you know, in his first two years, first two years, he's covered, you know, three hundred mares. So, uh, no, we're very lucky, very happy, very, very, very happy with his foals. They look very much like himself. Um, very well balanced horses. Um, good size, good movers, and you know, we're very, very happy with the horse. I think he's going to be uh, an exciting prospect for us in the next few years. Just going back to back to where we started. Um, one thing that always strikes me when I talk to, to people who stand stallions in France, and it, it sort of ties in with what we were talking about a little earlier on, was um, diversity and variety. There's an awful lot to choose from. Some would say maybe too many. Um, and there, there are now an awful lot of trainers that you could realistically or feasibly uh, have a horse with. I mean, to what extent do you think that sort of relative lack of homogeneity, it helps the industry? I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, we, 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 we looked at what, uh, how the stallion business has changed in the last five years in France. And it's quite interesting that, you know, as I say, said before, there's a, quite a lot of uh, investment that's come into France, new people coming in, setting up stud farms, buying stallions. Um, you can look at the, the, uh, the Sunday. Um, you've got the Rade of Beaumont now you know, they're all bringing in new stallions and quite interestingly if we look at the number of group one winning stallions that have come into come into France compared to England and Ireland you know if you look at Ireland obviously they're way ahead with 46 46 group one winning stallions coming to be retired in Ireland the last five years in England it's 29 but actually in France we've overtaken the English and there's 31 Group one winning stallions that have come into France, which means that A, the business is healthy, and B, they're improving the quality of stallion coming into France. All right, thanks to Julian, to Stuart Williams before that, and of course to Will Forsh and Willie Mullins earlier in the programme. Lee Moss's head senior writer in the Racing Post is still with me, and he has something for you for today.
Yes, Nick, I am going to the sprint track at Ripon this evening and the 8-10 race, a five furlong handicap. Tim Easterbury, uh, trained to five-year-old called I'll Be Gone, uh, ridden by Duran Fentiman. Um, form figures aren't great of late, but got no sort of room, uh, no sort of run last time, has been dropping down the white. Stable is in form, and I'm therefore tipping I'll Be Gone in the 8-10 at Ripon, the David Chapman Memorial Handicap. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, August the 8th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.